Okay, folks, we're in Lesson 5 today. We're going to look at Attitude Towards Others uh, from James Chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And so this is a very important lesson. This is actually something that we struggle with today in the church. We have a tendency to gravitate towards certain people to the exclusion of others. And it might be based on several factors. But the Bible describes it as favoritism, or partiality is a word that the Bible will use. And James is going to be warning his readers about showing favoritism to one group of people over another. And actually what we're going to be looking at today comes out of what James just talked about with us uh, last week when we looked at uh, chapter 1, and towards the end of chapter 1 there, if you look with me, in verse 26 and 27, he says, If any one among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So now he's going to describe what pure religion is. And look at what he says, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now look at that last verse there. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, right off the bat, the first thing I want you to notice there is that he's talking about outcasts. Because in their culture, in their world at that time, widows and orphans would be considered the poorest of the poor, the destitute, the rejected. And then he says, second thing there, to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So you're not going to be influenced or tainted by the world. Now those are, that's very important as we get ready to get into James chapter 2, because those two factors he's going to build upon to address the whole issue of favoritism and showing partiality. And then specifically he's going to talk about the tendency of the church or those within the church to favor those who are rich, those who are affluent, who have something, over those who have nothing, the outcast, the poor. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look, first of all, the issue of favoritism. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 4. So look with me in 1 to 4 of chapter 2 and notice what James says. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Okay, so the first thing I want you to notice here that James is wanting us to see here is this. James speaks to readers as believers in Jesus Christ. So he's assuming that those who are reading this letter are believers in Jesus Christ, so he wants to speak to them as as believers. So forget about your culture, forget about your background, your family background, whatever prejudices you grew up with. Forget about what, what class of people you are more, more inclined to hang with. Forget about 
all of that, he's going to talk to you specifically as a believer in Jesus Christ. So this is an issue concerning how you should be responding and acting as a believer in Jesus Christ. So he's going to speak to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. Notice the next thing here. He tells us to stop showing favoritism. He tells us to stop showing favoritism. I mean, it's it's very clear now that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I need to stop doing what really is a natural tendency for all of us. I need to stop doing what really is a natural tendency for all of us. What's that natural tendency, George? Well, my natural tendency is to hang out with, to spend time with, and to help out those who are like me, those who think like me, those who act like me, those who make the same kind of money as I do, or less, or more. I need to basically quit showing favoritism that is preferring one group of people or one type of person over another type. You say, well, I'm not sure that I, I, I do that, George. I'm not sure that I that I struggled in that area. Well, I think you need to examine yourself and ask, what type of person don't you like? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would immediately start thinking about groups of people that we've got problems with. So if you're a working class person and you work for your living, the tendency are is, is that whether you realize it or not, you might actually have a problem with those who don't work, who are maybe on disability, who maybe are on, on assistance from the government, you might have a problem with them. Maybe you're a working class person here, and you've got a problem with somebody who seems to be born into money or makes a lot of money. Maybe you're here as a person and you've got a problem with someone who maybe they have the wrong skin color, whatever that means. You don't like their skin color. So you have an attitude towards people and you lump people together who have a certain skin color. Maybe you've got an attitude towards immigrants. Hey, a big one today in our churches is that we're struggling with, and I think we need to get over it, is we've got an attitude towards Muslims. And a lot of that has to do with our patriotism and all of the, the issues that have happened over the last few years. We've got an attitude towards Muslims. But, folks, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to view the Muslim as we would the person down the street here in Kerwinsville who needs Jesus Christ and realize they all need Jesus Christ, and we need to reach out with them, to them with the love of Christ. Really, that's the testimony of Scripture, isn't it? Don't show favoritism. So he's telling us to stop doing that. Stop showing favoritism. In fact, in order for them to grasp what's going on here, he's going to give them an illustration. We see this in verse verse 2 of what he's speaking about here. It's an illustration of two people coming to church. So that's the next point. He refers to two visitors to a church gathering. So he's going to talk about two different people who are coming in He refers to two visitors, James refers to two visitors to the church gathering, and he's going to talk about how they are treated differently. And really, the example of it is really as an indictment against the church. So let's look and see what he says here. Next point here. One visitor is rich, and the other is extremely poor. So he describes the rich guy here as being really rich because he's wearing fine apparel, that is, he's wearing the nicest of clothes, 
He's probably dressing like GQ or whatever it is for the, you know, for the styles of his day. He's got gold on his fingers. He's got rings and fine apparel. So he's definitely a status guy. He's definitely got his thing together. He's financially rich. But then he describes the other guy as being poor, wearing filthy rags. Meaning, he's just wearing the same clothes over and over again. They're dirty. They probably stink. And he comes into the assembly. Now, both of these guys come into the assembly. Now, notice what James is saying here is the actions towards the two men. James points out the difference in the actions between the two men. So as these two guys are coming into the assembly, into the gathering of the church there, they're going to be treated differently. One is going to be be treated really good, and the other one is going to be treated really bad. And we're going to see that here. We're going to see that James is pointing out the difference in actions towards the two men. So notice what he does here. They treated the rich man with honor and special attention. So, I mean, they bent over backwards for the rich guy. They basically said, here, come here, have, a, have the finest seat in the house. Enjoy. Is there anything we can get for you? Would you like a bottled water? Is there enough air on you? Do we need to sit there and fan you or something? I mean, they're showing favoritism. They're treating this guy really nice who's showing up in the church. But notice how they treat... The poor guy. Notice how they treat the poor guy. They discriminated against the poor man in preference to the rich. They discriminated against the poor guy in preference to the rich. So what do you mean, discriminate? Well, here's what they do. The guy comes in, he's poor, he's dressed filthy, and here's what they say. You know what, hey, you know what, you stand over there. Or you sit down at my footstool, which basically a footstool guy... Folks, it's like an ottoman where you just kind of rest your feet up. You sit on the floor is basically what they're saying. So they're disrespecting this guy because he's poor. He's dressed, he isn't on the best of terms and the best of health or whatever. Probably doesn't smell good. He's dressed dirty. And you know what? They're going to honor the rich guy, but the poor guy, they kind of want him out of the way. He's kind of an eyesore. So you kind of stand over there or you kind of sit on the floor, but don't get in the way. Don't get in the way. Now, that's the illustration that James is giving us here. So out of this illustration, he's going to ask a question. James asks a question in order to draw attention to their behavior. So he's going to ask a question for them to think about the way that they're acting in church. Folks, this is a question for you and I today in a North American church. Because we have that tendency, because we're driven by budgets, we're driven by financial needs, that when a rich guy comes, we, all, we also operate under this assumption that if we have the more affluent come, that we're going to have greater outreach, we're going to meet, reach more people. Well, the question is, James is asking a question that's very important for all of us here. He wants us to understand what is our behavior, what are we doing. And so here's what he does. He asks this question. Have they not shown partiality among themselves? That's the question. He's flat out asking the question. Haven't you shown partiality? You can replace that word there with favoritism. Have you not shown favoritism among yourself? 
Now, when you ask that question, that makes you feel uncomfortable. Because he just told us in verse 1, he's talking to us as believers in Jesus Christ, and he tells us not to show favoritism among ourselves. But then here he goes, he gives this illustration that happens all the time in our circles of churches, in, in, in our focus of, quote, reaching the culture. We need people to fuel the machine so that we can do it. We need the finances to keep operating. And we prefer one group over another. James just flat out asked the uncomfortable question that we've got to answer, that we've got to ask ourselves about our strategies and the way that we're deciding how to reach out to people and our preferences of who we want to come to church and so forth. He's asking a question. Hey, haven't you shown favoritism among yourselves? That's the question. Haven't you shown favoritism among yourselves by preferring one group over another, by treating someone differently over another person within the assembly of Jesus Christ, within the body of Christ? Haven't you shown favoritism? And you know what the answer is? The answer is, yeah. Yeah, we, we have. We have shown favoritisms. And it's rather uncomfortable because we realize that he's already told us not to do that. That should not be behavior in the body of Christ. Now, let's go on here. Look at what he says there. He's going to continue on. Have they not become judges with evil thoughts towards each other? Here's what's happening. When you and I show favoritism, James is saying we're not just being partial towards someone else or some group of people over another group of people. It's not just that that's bad. Here's what makes it even worse. Is that we become judges. We have become self-appointed judges to say that this type of person or that person is better than that person. We have, with our own, and he describes it with our own evil thoughts, meaning that probably it comes out of our prejudices or our own sense of pride or, or whatever else is motivating us, but he describes those thoughts that would even lead us to be partial as evil. And he says, look, you're becoming a judge. You're becoming a self-appointed judge when you prefer one person or group of people over another, period. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Look then with me. Verses 5 through 9 of chapter 2. He's going to talk about the proper perspective we need to have. We need to have a proper perspective as we deal with each other. Notice what he says there. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you have shown partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So 
let's notice what he's saying here. First of all, he's going to talk about God and the poor. He's going to talk about the relationship between God and the poor. First of all, he tells his listeners to listen to him. So pay attention to what he's going to say. Because he's already exposed our sin. With the question, by giving the illustration, he's exposed the sin in all of us. That we show favoritism, that we have appointed ourselves as judges over other people. So he's going to call his listeners here to listen to him. So pay attention to what he's going to say. Listen to me, he's saying. He points out that God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in the faith. In God's economy, in God's perspective, in how the gospel works, and how it reaches out and touches people's lives, God has, for some reason chosen the poor to be the ones who would be responsive to the gospel. That's been true from the very beginning. Think about who the twelve disciples were. Most of them were what? Ignorant fishermen. Ignorant fishermen. They were not the elite of society. In fact, we see that from the testimony of Acts, where, what, the Sanhedrin is there gathered, and they're, they're questioning James and Peter and John, and, and, they, and what they're saying to themselves they, they recognized that these guys were ignorant fishermen, except what? Except for the fact that they had been with Jesus. So these guys were not learned people. And God chose the less than, in fact, isn't that what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians, because they were so proud of where they are, and they had a problem with spiritual pride. He says, look among yourselves, there's not many among you who are, who are, who are strong, who are rich, who are wise, who are the elite of society. That's not true among the church of Jesus Christ. So God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in the faith. For some reason, it is the poor who are responsive to the gospel. But our tendency is to what? Look to the rich. But we already know from the Gospels that Jesus says it's what? Hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't. Because anything's possible with God, but it's hard for them because there's self-sufficiency and all these other things that are going on with them. Notice the next point here. God chooses the poor to bring the message of the gospel and to be heirs of the kingdom. So he's chosen the poor, the insignificant, to be his messengers, and he's chosen them to be heirs of the kingdom of God. We've already seen that through the lives of the apostles. We've already mentioned that. Let's move on a little bit here. By showing favoritism to the rich, here's what James is saying. They've dishonored the poor. By showing favoritism to the rich, they have dishonored the poor. Just the flat-out bottom line here. When you and I show favoritism to the rich, we appoint ourselves as judges, with evil thoughts, but the reality is we're forgetting that the poor are the ones whom God has chosen to be his vessels, to be used of, to experience his blessing of salvation, and to carry that message to the world. It's like we're ignoring what God's economy is, and we're deciding on our own what what really is best, and in the meantime, we're dishonoring the poor whom God honors. We're dishonoring the poor. Man, what an indictment. What an indictment. You know, here's the thing. We've learned this here as a church. 
you know what, if, as long as we were focused on ourselves and having a happy huddle here among ourselves and, and just trying to reach a certain group of people, we were dying. We were not existing as a church. We were slowly going through a slow death. But during the realization it came, and thank God for the realization, that when we started to reach out to those among us, to those who live right around us, even right around our church here, to the poor, to the working class poor, to the poor who are on relief, we started to see in our midst again, life come back into the church. But as long as we were focused on ourselves and reaching our group of people and showing favoritism and partiality, we were experiencing death. Death is the church. Death is the church. Notice the next point here. James reminds them that the rich oppress them and take them to court. He's just going to be fine on us. He says, guys, you're showing favoritism toward the rich. Well, let's remind yourselves of something. Aren't the rich the ones who oppress you? Aren't the rich the ones who exploit you? Because more than likely the rich person would have holdings and have servants under him and, and slaves and, and whatever business ventures. And, and, and he's, he's always going to be, as it is normally, always the top dog, always getting the best for himself out of it. He gets the better deal. The little guy gets the shaft. And this is what James is saying. He oppresses you. And and if you do him wrong, guess what? He's quick to take you to court because he can afford to go to court, whereas the poor guy can't. And in a court system like even in Roman times, the court system was what? Slanted towards the wealthy more so than the poor guy, and the poor guy always ended getting the raw end of the deal. So he reminds him, but not only does, the, does he remind him of this, he, he talks about the attitude of the rich towards spiritual things. Notice what he says here. The rich also blaspheme the name of Jesus who brought them Jesus. They're flippant. They're flippant about spiritual things. They're flippant about God. They're flippant about Jesus. And, and, and his whole point in bringing this up is, is that he says, you know what, and you want to honor them? You dishonor those that God has a special relationship with, but you turn your attention to honoring those who oppress you, who blaspheme the name of Jesus, who take you to courts. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And that's his whole point here. He's saying here, you need to consider what you're doing. Because here's the point. Here's the point he wants them to see. There's a royal law going on here. He points out that if they fulfill the law of loving their neighbor, they do well. Remember the confrontation Jesus had with the lawyer about what the, what the greatest commandments are? And the commandments are love the Lord God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? To love your neighbor as yourself. And so this self-righteous Pharisee, teacher of the law, wants to justify himself and says, Who's my neighbor? Because this was an argument that they had among themselves when they talked about this, because they delineated that a neighbor was someone just like them. They showed favoritism. But Jesus gives the illustration of what? The good Samaritan, and tells them that this Samaritan who was rejected was more of a neighbor than one of the people that they would normally hang out with. 
And so if you and I are going to fulfill the royal law of Scripture, to love the Lord God with all our heart, mode, and soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to what? We're going to love the outcast as well as the rich guy. We're going to love the poor guy especially. And he says, if we do that, we do well. We're doing okay. But the problem is, is we're not doing that. Why? Because he's already exposed it to us. He's already exposed our hypocrisy through the illustration by showing that we show favoritism. We show favoritism. And so he's going to point out what the partiality is here. It's just a flat-out sin. Here's what he says. Showing partiality over, showing partiality to one over another is sin. If I show partiality to one person over another, that's sin. That's sin. Just flat out. If I am geared towards one type of person over another type of person, that, my friends, is sin. No other way to say it. No way to excuse it. No way to slip around it. He's flat out telling us that favoritism is sin. In fact, here's what he says. Those who engage in favoritism are lawbreakers. Those who engage in favoritism of favoring one group or one person over another, you are a breaker of God's law. You have broken God's law. So he's going to talk about the seriousness of the issue here as we close out here. Look with me at verses 10 through 13. And notice what James is saying here. He's going to tell them, what does it mean to break the law? So, Because somebody would say, I don't break the law. I try to keep the Ten Commandments. I'm doing okay. Look at what he says there, verses 10 through 13. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble at one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. And so speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Here's several things I want you to see. First of all, he points out that failure in one point of the law is a transgression of the whole law. So, okay, we have God's word, we have God's law. Some of you may specifically be thinking of the Ten Commandments. And here's what he's saying. If you fail in one area of the law then you've transgressed the whole law. You've broken the whole law. That's the point. So when I show favoritism towards the rich, over the poor, I am what? Breaking all of God's word. I'm dishonoring him. I'm a lawbreaker. When I don't love my neighbor as myself, I'm breaking his word. I'm breaking the law. In fact, he, he wants to illustrate here so that we understand the point here. He's going to use, he uses the illustration of the commandments concerning adultery and murder. He's going to take two different commandments and he's going to explain to us and show us what he's talking about here. What he's talking about here. He says, even though, even though I do not commit adultery, I have broken the whole law when I murder. So let's stop for a moment. Remember what Jesus said about adultery? Adultery is lust in your heart. 
If you lust after a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery with her, is what Jesus said. If you hate someone, you have murdered them. Well, he says, okay, well, if you've never even, if you've never committed adultery, you can't sit there and say you're righteous and that you're doing okay with God when in reality you have what? murdered someone, or let's take it a little bit specifically according to what Jesus said, even if you get to the point where you hate someone. Now remember what he said, when you and I show favoritism, when we show partiality, we've become judges with evil thoughts. Folks, that's hating. We've preferred one group over another. That's hating. So what he's saying here is that even though I don't commit adultery... I've broken the whole law because of my attitude of hatred. Because of the murder in my heart. That's the point he wants us to see here. The point he wants us to see here. So here's what he's saying. He's going to encourage us here. We're to live as those who are going to be judged by the law of liberty. So here's the thing. I need to, rather than showing favoritism, going along and just going with the crowd, because the crowd, look, our culture shows favoritism. Rather than doing that, I need to live my life in such a way that I recognize that the way I live my life, listen to me, the way I live my life, I know that one day I'm going to be judged by what? The law of liberty. God's law. God's law. And here's what he says, so that you understand the judgment that's coming and why we need to live this way. He says this, no mercy will be shown to those who show no mercy. You want to show favoritism? You want to be partial? You want to prefer one group over another? Here's the reality. When the judgment comes, you'll face the same type of judgment in your life. If you're going to judge people that way and not be merciful, here's what James is saying. You're not going to receive mercy in the end either. You're not going to see mercy in the end either. So no mercy will be shown to those who show no mercy. Here's the final point he makes here. Mercy expressed vindicates us over the judgment. Do you want to vindicate yourself over the judgment? Quit showing partiality. Express mercy to those, even to those who are outcasts, to the poor. Even to those that you don't even have a preference to. Reach out, go beyond for them. This is what James is saying. And that will vindicate you in the judgment. That will vindicate you. That will make you stand out from the rest of the crowd as far as your faith in Jesus Christ, because you didn't show partiality to one group over another. And folks, that's something we all need to work on here, isn't it? Something we all need to work on here. Well, look, we're at the end here. Next week, we're going to talk about just continuing on, because out of that comes, out of the reality of showing mercy, he's going to expand it a little more and talk about that, Our works are a reflection of our faith. So if you truly know Jesus, your life is going to be reflected in your attitudes and what you do. So we're going to see that next week as we look at Lesson 6. So let's close our time in prayer.